Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can help out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also donate using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm excited to be back and I've got a great show for everybody today. We're going to talk about the last few weeks and the updates we've seen from the ASCO abstracts as well as some other stuff specifically related to central nervous system disorders. So the first company we're going to touch on is Inovis. We're going to then move into Oncternal and then finish up with Replimune. And I want to thank everybody for all your support. Appreciate all the comments and the great feedback I've been getting. Uh, please keep it up. We're, uh, we're doing great on the numbers, so I do appreciate that. And let's just get right into it. The first company I want to talk about is Inovis. Their ticker symbol is ANVS. And before all of this news came out, they were trading at a $165 million market cap. That then moved to a $500 million market cap, where they then settled at around $350 million. And what they announced is positive phase two data for ANVS 401, where it improved cognition in Alzheimer's disease, and they saw an improvement of 3.3 points on the ADAS-COG-11. They mentioned here that it's a double-blind placebo-controlled treatment for 25 days. They also say that from baseline to day 25 in the ANVS 401 treated group, ADAS-COG-11 improved by 4.4 points, a statistically significant improvement of 30%, the p-value here being 0.04. They then said that the ANVS 401 treated group compared to placebo at day 25, which is the final time point, showed an improvement of 3.3 points or 22%, a p-value of 0.13. And I haven't talked too much about p-values, but it's only statistically significant if the p-value is below 0.05, even though there's a number of different ways that Researchers can kind of improvise with the data to get the p-value down there, even though there's no statistical difference. But what they're showing here is that there's really only a statistically significant improvement from baseline, not necessarily compared to placebo. And so they're saying that both the treatment and ANVS 401 improve the ADAS-COG-11, but the ANVS 401 treatment is better than the placebo by an additional 3.3 points. So that's kind of what that means. After this news came out, the stock actually went to like almost 100 and then it kind of settled down a lot lower. And then the company announced uh, pricing of an underwritten public offering of 1 million shares at a public offering price of $50 per share for a gross proceeds of $50 million. So they did this public offering to raise capital because the company did announce, and I wish more companies would do this, that they weren't going to raise capital until they saw positive data. So that's kind of what happened. And for those who don't know, I wanted to talk briefly about ADAS-COG-11, which is kind of the gold standard when it comes to Alzheimer's readouts. It's an Alzheimer's disease assessment scale, and they look at 11 different items. There's an ADAS-COG-13 as well that Biogen has used before. Um, but in general, the 11 is fine. It, it looks at the most common things associated with Alzheimer's disease with reference to cognition or memory. So the scale is from 0 to 70, and a higher score indicates a worse performance. There's 11 different questions consisting of word recall, naming objects and fingers, following commands, etc., etc. So I just wanted to put that out there so we have an idea of what we're talking about. So I wanted to put the Inovus result in context, this 4.4 point improvement from baseline and then 3.3 point improvement compared to placebo. And a few studies, and Inovus brought this up in their press release, so I'm not really doing anything groundbreaking, but I did want to put context with reference to denepazil. So 
The comparison here, one that's being made, is in 2019, Biogen reported data from Emerge. And this was also a double-blind placebo-controlled study where they looked at thousands of patients. And what they showed, over one year's time, an improvement of 1.4 points in the ADAS cog. And this is over the treatment group. So just comparing the treatments at the end of the study or after one year. So I'm going to blow up that data here. And actually, there's, this data is final data, so we have a much larger... Right, much later time point at 78 weeks. And what we see here is that patients placebo or treated get worse. They're increasing their ADAS-COG-11. But the treatment group, the one with aducanumab, is getting worse at a slower rate. So we see here the difference between the placebo and the high-dose aducanumab is something like 1. Point, what do they say here? 1.4. So that's what we're looking at here. And this is over 78 weeks. Keep in mind the ANOVA study is only 25 days and it's in significantly fewer patients. So comparing the ANOVA's result to this, you would say ANOVA's drug is some kind of like miracle drug because it can do so much in such a short amount of time. Now let's look at the SABA study because SABA Sciences has their own drug where they're looking at improving uh, Alzheimer's disease and in February 2021 they reported in their open label study, it's a phase 2 study, a 1.6 improvement in ADAS-COG over six months. So this is a single arm, so they're just comparing to baseline, and they saw an improvement of 1.6. But as we can see, even in the ANOVA study, the treatment group improved about 1.1 points, and that's what we're kind of looking at here. So placebo alone, we could say that the variability is enough to explain cassava's result. But that also, is important to touch on that getting an improvement in ADAS-COG is difficult. It's very tough to get a significant improvement, especially in such a short amount of time. So Cassava's result took six months to see that. So those two are experimental drugs, but let's talk about Denepazil, which is one that's been on the market for a significantly long time. And Denepazil has shown a 2.5 point improvement after three weeks of treatment compared to placebo. And I'm making that large now. And what we can see here is that the placebo kind of wavers around the baseline, and then it does start to get worse. Whereas the denepazil-treated groups, they get better very quick, and then once they max out that clinical improvement, that's kind of the best result that they can see, this improvement of around 2.5 points. And then when they did the placebo washout, they can see here that after the endpoint has been reached, the patients start to do worse again. So if we're gonna look at the Inovis study, I think the result is pretty remarkable if it's in fact something that can be reproduced in phase three. I think that the study is extremely small and was a very short time point, so for that reason I'm relatively skeptical. Now I'm fortunate enough to have made quite a profit on my trade with this company. I took a position at around 25 and was waiting for the Alzheimer's data to be released and then I was going to sell and that's what I did. So I'm happy to have seen the result here, but I caution anyone against holding this position into phase three data. They are going to be releasing some additional information on biomarkers, so that could move the stock, but I am concerned that in a larger study, they might not be able to get reproducible results here. So something to keep in mind, it is great for the company, and I really hope that the drug does show a benefit in patients in a larger study so that it can be approved and help patients because there is a significant unmet need when it comes to Alzheimer's disease. So what I wanted to do is look at other upcoming CNS readouts. And I've touched on a lot of this in a couple of previous videos where I looked at CNS companies in particular, but 
I wanted to do this because we've seen now twice, Cassava and Anobis, two companies that had studies that were not ideal, but they showed a modest improvement in Alzheimer's disease. Obviously, Anobis saw a really big improvement in 25 days, but if they were to increase the patient population, I think that that gap might close. But so they're studies that were not perfect. They were either open label or relatively small sample size. And because they showed some positive data in phase two, they saw this huge increase in the stock price. And these two companies before were trading below $500 million market cap. So I think it's worth it for us to look at the landscape right now, see companies that are relatively low market cap, and by that I mean below 250, below $500 million. And if they show some positive data in their CNS readout, we could see this massive move where the stock will double or triple, and we could see potentially making a really nice profit. So some of the companies I covered before, Elector is one of them, ticker symbol ALEC. They are trading already at a $1.4 billion market cap. So the upside for them, I would say, is capped. They have $374 million in cash as of Q1, but they have a phase two readout in Alzheimer's disease in Q3 of 2021. Now it's an open label study, so that does give us some pause, but given that the other companies have shown some open label data before, Kasab in particular, and saw that huge run up in the stock, I think it's possible that Elector could do that. Now, Elector is at 1.4 billion dollar market cap, so their upside is severely capped. And for this reason, I'm not gonna look to take a position in Elector. The timing for the release of the results is gonna be between July 26th and 30th for this AAIC conference. And the policy for embargoing the information is such that they're not gonna officially release any of the information until the scheduled date of the presentation. So. Keep an eye out for that to get the specifics on it. But this is a CNS readout that's coming pretty soon. Cyclerion is one that I currently have a position in. The company's trading at around $111 million market cap, and they have $44 million in cash with, I put here $100 million in total assets because there's something interesting about their balance sheet where they say there's property listed under that. So I have to look in greater detail at some of the regulatory filings to see exactly what they're calling property. but. In terms of cash on hand, they have around $44 million. And given that the market cap is so low and the company's seen some upsets in the last year, I think that there's a real opportunity here for them to get some menial positive data in their MELAS study, which is a complicated disorder that relates to problems in the central nervous system. So if their drug can show some improvement in this patient population, even though it's not the ideal study, it's not the ideal patient population that we want, because the company is trading at such a low market cap right now, I think that we could see a massive move in the company eventually. So I'm holding on to a decent position with them, and in Q4 of 2021, we should see the data. The next company I want to talk about is called Cortexime. Their ticker symbol is CRTX, and they're trading at a $1.2 billion market cap. They have $174 million of cash, and they have an Alzheimer's disease pivotal study coming out, the data, in Q4 of 2021. Now, if you'll remember when I touched on this, they stopped enrollment on their open label extension study due to safety concerns. So this is something to keep in mind if you are gonna take a position that even if the efficacy is compelling, the safety might preclude approval. The company also has phase two data in periodontal disease in Q4 2021. So that's something else that you could be playing as well. But like I mentioned with Elector, the company's already trading above a billion dollar market cap. So for me, the upside is relatively limited here. 
And it's for these reasons that I'm not going to take a position in Cortex Slim. I think the safety makes me a little nervous, and because the company's already trading so high, I just see the upside as being capped. Moving on, though, let's talk about Athira. And they're another company that's got a CNS asset. The only problem is, though, the Phase 2 data isn't going to be coming until 2022. The company's trading at a $737 million market cap, and they're sitting on a nice cash position of around $312 million. But because we're so far between now and when the readout's going to come, I don't think it's worth playing today. And depending where the company's trading at in maybe late 2021, early 2022, it might make sense to take a position there. Because if I remember correctly, I think the mechanism had some potential here, but we just didn't get enough data to really feel confident about it, which seems to be a, a common problem with CNS companies. But the time period between now and when the readout is coming is just too far. And for me, I'd rather hold on to my cash before taking a position and use it towards a readout that is more near term. The last company I want to touch on is Longevron, ticker symbol LGVN. Their market cap is around $124 million, and they have $25 million in cash. Now, this company has a couple of readouts coming up. One phase two readout in hypoplastic left heart syndrome, and that should be coming in the next month or so. And then they have a phase two study in aging frailty in Q3 of 2021. Now, given that this company has such a low market cap and the catalysts are relatively near term, it could be worth taking a position in this company. When I touched on the company in my previous CNS videos, though, I cautioned around the actual efficacy of the treatment and the reason for this is in the two studies that they showed, both of them showed that the highest dose of their stem cell treatment did not have an effect oftentimes where the lower dose did have an effect. And I feel like whenever this happens, it's all kind of noise and there's not actually some scientific mechanism that's helping patients out. And instead, it's really just noise and with a greater sample size and a more in-depth study, it usually normalizes that for me, Longevron is a no, even though they could see some phase two data in either one of these indications. And because the company is trading at such a low market cap, it could easily double or triple from here. But I'm very concerned about the mechanism and whether or not there is an actual effect from Longevron's treatment in improving either hypoplastic left heart syndrome or aging frailty. So for me, I'm gonna sit on the sidelines with Longevron, but like we saw with Anovis, I had concerns with Anovis in a larger study for them too, but I was able to profit off that. And you could probably do the same thing in Longevron if things work out. And it's always tough to predict on whether or not a study is going to show positive results, but that's my overall take. And so with CNS, it's a, a lot of excitement. There's a ton of upside usually, but it's so rare to see a success that it makes it very difficult to profit consistently. One company I did want to make a note of is one called Humanity Therapeutics, ticker symbol YMTX, and they're trading at around a $155 million market cap, and they have $66 million in cash. Now, I tweeted on Friday or so that I took a position in the company because they're about to release some phase 1B data in Parkinson's disease. So their main drug that they're looking at here is called YTX7739, and it's a blood-brain barrier penetrant steroid CoA desaturase inhibitor. And what this does is it prevents protein aggregation of a protein called alpha-synuclein. And alpha-synuclein has been associated with Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. So presumably, if we can inhibit the aggregates that are caused by alpha-synuclein, 
we might be able to improve conditions such as Parkinson's disease and such as Alzheimer's disease. So the company is very early in their clinical development. They've released some early data in phase 1A. They've done a single ascending dose and a multiple ascending dose trials in healthy volunteers. And they've been able to show that they get target engagement as well as a safety profile that is amenable to patients. But what we're about to see here is in mid-2021, we're going to get phase 1B data, and this is in actual Parkinson's disease patients. So if they can show that there's some kind of efficacy outcome that is positive for Parkinson's disease, we could see a similar move that Anovis showed us in the last few weeks. Given that the company's trading at around $155 million market cap, and they also have $66 million bucks in cash. The details of the study can be found here. I look at this as kind of a long shot, but the downside risk is relatively low. You can expect in general that if a company's main asset is going to fail, they're going to trade probably close to cash unless there's other assets that can prop it up. So we see downside here of around $66 million market cap. But the upside, we could see something similar to either Anobis or Cassava Sciences. And for me, I think the risk reward definitely favors a long position. So for that reason, I'm going to take one. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. The last CNS readout that I want to talk about is Biogen's Aducanumab Padufa Day, which is going to be on June 7th. And this one is going to be pretty amazing. It's going to affect the whole XBI to some capacity, and I really can't wait. The advisory committee that looked at all of the information for aducanumab, voted overwhelmingly against approval, and this is in November of 2020. But if we look at the briefing documents that the FDA shared, it was pretty clear to everyone, mostly everyone, that the FDA wants to approve it. They want a reason to approve the drug. And we've seen a lot of campaigns going on, advertisements, celebrity endorsements, really skewing the public perception towards wanting to approve this drug. And I really worry that the aducanumab approval is going to be mostly a political decision, not actually a scientific one. And there's going to be significant consequences to this in the long term, but the FDA is put in a very difficult spot where they want to approve the drug to appease so many different special interests, whereas the science would argue against approval. And I really don't know what's going to happen. I think what's most likely is some kind of conditional approval where they're going to want to see more long-term studies. But as we've seen in the past, companies can drag their feet with their long-term studies while a drug is approved, and the FDA doesn't seem to hold them accountable. So it's really going to be anybody's guess. I really want to play the catalyst to some extent, maybe some options plays, but when I look at the options chain, the spread is always so big that it doesn't make it seem worth it, in my opinion. And I think I might just watch from the sidelines and play my smaller CNS companies and take it from there. But it's going to be a big mover for the CNS space as well as the XBI as a whole. So I'm really looking forward to that. But that is also a big CNS readout that's coming up. All right, I now want to talk about Oncturnal. And the reason for this is because they submitted a couple abstracts to ASCO and we recently saw the publication of those abstracts. So we know what kind of data they're going to present in this upcoming conference. The ticker symbol is ONCT, and they're trading at around a mid $5 price per share. The company's trading at around a $250 million market cap. They had a Q1 2021 net loss of $6 million. They have current assets of $113 million and current liabilities of only $6 million. They're a targeted oncology company that's focused basically on ROR1. They also have an asset for Ewing sarcoma, 
but I think most of the excitement is surrounding this ROR1 antibody as well as their CAR-T therapy. And this main antibody is called Sermtuzumab, and this is an antibody that targets ROR1 to improve outcomes in different cancers. And they're focusing on MCL, CLL, as well as breast cancer. Their asset for Ewing sarcoma is called TK216, and they also shared an update with that at ASCO. And then they also have this ROR1 CAR-T. And for me, that's kind of a longer term thing. And in the shorter term, we really want to see updates from Sermtuzumab and TK216. So the first abstract that I looked at was the one related to Ewing sarcoma. And this is interim data for TK216 in patients with relapse or refractory Ewing sarcoma in an oral session at ASCO 2021. So they're going to be giving an oral presentation where they update the data. But the abstract, I believe, is going to have most of the updates that we need to see. Unless the company is withholding something and they're going to include it for the oral presentation in particular, which I don't know. It's anybody's guess. I lean towards no, given that there's so many regulations around it, but you don't totally know. So what I want to do here is compare the old data, which is on the left here, to the new data, which is on the right. And in the old data, let's just focus on this recommended phase two dose cohort nine and expansion, because this is really what matters. We don't really care if a low dose worked or didn't work, since it's not going to be the dose that's going to be used in a phase two trial. So of all the patients they looked at, 23 of them were valuable at the recommended phase two dose in this cohort nine or expansion. And in here, they got two patients that had an objective response, 9%, and those two had complete responses. They had eight patients with uh, stable disease, and therefore the disease control rate was 43%. If we look at the updated data here, and I'm not going to read the top parts because it's not super critical, but they say here that at the recommended phase two dose, the updated data says that the objective response rate was 9.7, three of 31 evaluable patients. They have one patient with an unconfirmed partial response, 11 patients, or 35.5%, had stable disease, and therefore there's a disease control rate, which is complete response, partial response, and stable disease of 45.2%, or 14 out of 31 evaluable patients. So if we compare that to the one on the left, what they did is they got one more objective response, and this was in a partial response category, which is not as ideal as a complete responder, but it's still a benefit. The unfortunate part is that all the other patients that were included here were in stable disease. Now, stable disease in patients that are so highly pretreated in a relatively aggressive cancer isn't bad, but I don't think it's this groundbreaking result that people might have wanted to see if we were going to see more upside in the stock. So I think it's good data. It's not amazing or groundbreaking data and we saw a relatively muted response in the stock. And it's easy to say in hindsight that once we see the data and the stock didn't move, that this is the reason why. But I think really here, to see three out of 31 evaluable patients, it's just not as impressive as the market wanted to see. Moving on to CLL or MCL. And the way they did these trials, the way they presented the data is not very easy. So there's a a number of different parts where they use different doses, and with CLL, they combined it with ibrutinib. So keep that in mind when we actually look at the new data, and I'll explain the differences, because really what we wanna see is the updated data. We don't just wanna see the raw data and be like, oh, that's good or not. We wanna see what's the change from the previous data that the company released. So 
The company is doing a phase 1-2 study of sermtuzumab and abrutinib in mantle cell lymphoma or chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And so the old data here, it's very impressive. They have a very high complete response rate in MCL. And that is really the key to sermtuzumab is that rather than just getting a better objective response rate, they see significantly more complete responders than just partial responders. If we look at the updated data though, and I have, this is old data in the bottom right, but the only update they showed us is two additional evaluable patients in part two of this MCL study. And what these patients ended up falling into in terms of a category is one was a partial responder and one was a progressive disease. And then what they did is they combined both MCL part one and part two when they presented the data. And what this ended up looking like is 17 patients total. The objective response rate was 82% or 14 patients. And this is made up of seven that had a complete response and seven that had a partial response. Stable disease was 12% or two patients. And then they had one patient with progressive disease. So this is kind of a push as well. The problem that I see here more than anything is that they didn't really add many patients to any of the groups. They only added these two patients to the MCL part two, and investors were hoping for more data from other parts of the study that were still being enrolled. So the additional two patients, and it's kind of a split result here, I think also contributes to the lack of a move in the stock. And so that's all we really have to go off of with ASCO. I did want to touch on briefly the poster presentation that was done by Dr. Shatsky, and this was with sermtuzumab in breast cancer. And we previously saw some data where they showed a 57% objective response rate in four out of seven patients, where patients that were heavily pretreated and had HER2 negative breast cancer were starting to see a response from sermtuzumab. And this is a sermtuzumab plus paclitaxel single arm trial. And if we look at paclitaxel alone, the objective response rate is around 20 to 30%. And the previous data that Dr. Shatsky showed was four to seven patients saw a response. So that's positive data in my eyes. Now the new data that they showed in this poster was an objective response rate of 53%. And this was eight out of 15 patients. Now, I think this is really positive data. The fact that they were able to reproduce the previous data with a larger patient population, even though it's only double the patients, I think it still bides very well for the drug in having a future in this indication. They also mentioned that no patient stopped sermtuzumab due to toxicity, no dose reductions of sermtuzumab were required, and there were no dose-limiting toxicity. So I think that all bodes very well for sermtuzumab in breast cancer. Now, the issue is, once we've seen this data, we need to be asking ourselves, now what? And this is an issue I had with Trillium as well. Once we saw they had this really good data in NHL, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, it was very much, now what? Now what's the company going to do? How are they going to get going so that we can see more good data or we can move towards registration? And I think this is what frames the bear and the bull case for Oncturnal. So I'm going to outline both of those here and tell you what I want to do and, you know, you should not use my recommendations here as trading advice because there is no right answer for this stuff. It really is in reference to your timeline and what your conviction is. But the bear case for me for Oncturnal, we also heard that on Friday the 29th, I believe it was, that the company filed an 8K indicating their intention to sell $50 million in stock at the market through Jeffrey's LLC. 
The shares of common stock sold pursuant to a shelf registration statement in the form of an Form S3, and this became active on April 15th of 2021. So after the company released these abstracts, all this news and breast cancer, the company is still moving forward with an at-the-market offering of $50 million, even though the company doesn't really need the cash, given that they have around $113 million, and the stock didn't move very much on the news. And I think that one sign that management might not be the most investor-friendly is that the announcement of good news comes before the capital raise. And if it doesn't come before the capital raise, they wait until that good news happens. And there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we might not know that's going on, but it does not instill a lot of confidence in a management team when the company releases very meager improvement in results. They increase the end number for some of their studies, but all in all, it wasn't a big mover of the stock, right? But the company is still moving ahead with a $15 million at the market offering, which is gonna keep the stock price depressed rather than use the money they have, put that money to work into new studies, into new trials, into collecting more data so that they can see that rise in the stock, treating their investors how they should be treated, and then doing an offering when it's appropriate. Another part to this bear case is that they have not provided updates on their plans for a pivotal study in any indication. The corporate presentation is a little bit dated now that we've already seen that there's ASCO updates. Now, they haven't done the ASCO presentation yet, but Unless they're going to show more data at ASCO, I don't really see much upside because we already know what's going to come. And this relates to my last point with the bear case is that the ASCO catalyst might already be priced in because what's listed in the abstract might be the only data release that we see. The actual presentation isn't guaranteed to see more data necessarily. They could add more data, but we don't really know unless it happens. So you are risking a bit of a sell-off after this ASCO catalyst, given that they might not present more data. And I say here that two patients in the MCL group and eight in Ewing sarcoma with only modest improvements just doesn't seem like enough to boost the stock and instill more confidence from the investment community. So I think we're in a tough spot here, and I compare this to Trillium because Trillium also kind of dragged their feet when it came to next steps. After they got the good data, they got the good result, they just took way too long to decide on what trials they're gonna do, what indications they're gonna focus on in future studies, and investors were left kind of wondering and not knowing what was up. So that's the bear case for Ongternal. Now the bull case is that Ongternal is doing a presentation at ASCO as well as Jefferies, and they might include some data that wasn't shared in the abstracts. I see this as extremely unlikely, but it's definitely a possibility. Another thing is that some catalysts that could improve the outlook is they could clarify a timeline or pivotal plans. And this is similar to Trillium, even though it didn't work out. The R&D day in general was not a bullish catalyst for the company. If anything, we've only seen a decline since the R&D day. But if Ongternal can have some very major announcements and some very clear timelines on when we can expect data, from these pivotal plans, if they're gonna be pivotal, I think that could support an increase in the stock. And then another thing with the bull case is we do still see about 20% of the stock's float being owned by institutions. So there is some institutional ownership. It's obviously not the best. Other companies have more institutional ownership than that. But because we're not seeing significant institutional selling yet, and it might've happened, these reports are very 
lagging. So we don't often always know what's going on with the companies in terms of their institutional ownership. But I see that as supporting the price of Onkernel right now. So that's pretty much my take on Onkernel. And what I think I'm going to do is I'm holding a decent position and I'm about flat on the stock, maybe a little bit, you know, a few percent higher than what I bought it. But for me right now, I don't see a great reason to hold it. I'm going to sell about 75 to 80% of my stock, hold a small position in hopes of maybe some announcements at ASCO, and then wait to see what happens. But I don't think it's worth holding on, given that most of the catalysts have been realized, and we don't have a real clear timeline on what's going to happen. And the company seems totally fine with doing an at-the-market offering. So for those reasons, I think it's worth it to sell here. And, you know, it is what it is. The company might get bought out next week and you really never know, but for me, I think the proper play is to sell a majority of the position and wait for a better entry whenever that comes, whenever we get clarity on the timeline or something like that. Last company I wanna talk about is one that I took a position in but didn't describe in great detail. It's called Replimune. The ticker symbol is REPL and they're trading at around $38 per share, giving them around a $1.8 billion market cap. The Q1 2021 net loss is $21 million. Their Q1 2021 current assets sit at $484 million with current liabilities of around $15 million. And what the company is trying to do is develop oncolytic immunotherapies. And we've seen these previously. The one that was approved in 2015 I have listed here from Amgen is called TVEC and it was approved for a melanoma indication. And so I see Replamune as being relatively de-risked given this. But what they're trying to do is direct an oncolytic therapy towards tumor cells. And what this is hoping to do is promote innate and adaptive immune reactions so that people's immunity can then attack the cancer and eradicate it. And they're hoping to improve outcomes with regards to that. The therapy could be off the shelf, which helps compared to other cell-based therapies, especially ones in melanoma, and one company that I'm going to touch on in these few slides is Iovance that has seen some issues lately. But that is not an off-the-shelf therapy, and therefore Replimune might be a better option for patients that have melanoma. So some upcoming stuff, and I'm not going to go through the details of the therapy. I might save that for an additional video, but Replimune is going to do a data update on their lead programs during a virtual investor event on June 3rd of 2021. And I see this as a major opportunity. And the two indications they're primarily focusing on now, one is in anti-PD-1 failed melanoma therapy. And here I estimate around 10,000 patients per year. And then they're also looking at another skin cancer where there's around 7,000 to 28,000 patients per year. And if you estimate that the cost is gonna be something like $150,000 per patient per year, you can imagine the total addressable market is pretty high. Now the company's also looking at other indications. They're looking at non-small cell lung cancer, which is a very large patient population. And you can see all the readouts that they're gonna have in 2021. So for me, I see this as a lot of potential in this year, especially. And I took a position when the stock was trading at around 30 bucks. And in a similar way, they kind of remind me of Iovance because they were also looking at indications in melanoma and some of these other cancers. And Iovance's peak market cap after they released their pivotal data was around $7 billion. And with Replimune at only around 1.8, I see there being a lot of upside, especially in a company that's shown that their treatments do work in early trials. So for me, I think it makes sense to take a position and I'm gonna hold probably through 2021 
so that I can see some of this initial data come out, and then we can reassess after that. But for their melanoma indication, they recently met with the FDA in order to plan what their pivotal study is going to look like. So I do see that Replimune is a pretty interesting company, and we're going to see a lot of updates on June 3rd, hopefully. And with that, I want to touch on the upcoming catalyst that we can expect to see. And so we saw Oncturnal. The X is really for Oncturnal, where Anovis should have the check mark. But uh, moving on, Atrika, we're going to see data coming up soon. Hepion as well. ALX Oncology. 4D Molecular Therapies. Their lockup expiration is coming up. So I am not going to be holding that stock. I'm probably going to be looking to pick some up after that lockup expires. YMTX in Q2 of this year coming up. You should see some data in Parkinson's disease. And then I also mentioned that GLTO, we're going to see some COVID-19 data. And I don't have time to get into this company, but it is trading relatively close to cash. And I think that, you know, it's a pretty low risk play that if they do see some positive data in COVID-19, we could see a big move. And if it's not positive, then I don't expect the stock to move too much lower from where it is now. So I'm going to get out of the stock as soon as I see that data and take it from there. To do a quick portfolio wrap-up, the Anovis news really improved my portfolio. I'm now sitting at around negative 8%, so I've caught up to the XBI, and I've really taken off from ArcG, so proud to uh, say that. I included my Humanity shares here, included my selling of Iovance. I wasn't holding many shares, but I did sell it after the news that the BLA was going to be delayed even further due to these uh, potency assays. And then we did hear that the CEO decided to leave, which I'm surprised was as negative as it was. I would think that that CEO leaving would be a bit more bullish for the company, but I think the uncertainty surrounding it right now is just depressing the stock so much. So that might be a buy eventually, and I'm going to keep my eye on it. GLTO, I took a small position here, and then I mentioned my selling of Anovis. And if you think these numbers look a lot different than they were last time, it is because I changed the PL. I was doing year-to-date PL, but I don't know if that makes sense for my actual portfolio. It almost makes more sense to do my average cost basis, right? So this is now the update where it's my cost basis rather than the year-to-date PL. And I think that makes sense. But the issue with that is that it doesn't necessarily match here because this is year-to-date. So anyway, it is what it is. But that's uh, all I got for you guys today. So I want to thank you for your attention, and I appreciate all the support. Let me know what you think. Do you think I'm off on Anobis or Oncturnal, or do you think that uh, Replimune is a sell? Definitely let me know in the comments below, or you can tweet at me, at Matthew Lepoir. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up, but thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next time.